All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. back to Intrepid Business. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, joined by my friend and colleague, Todd Schnick. Good morning, Todd. Really looking forward to our conversation today around negotiating from someone that's negotiated over a half a billion dollars worth of deals. Joe, as I age and seek more maturity in business, uh, one of the areas I feel weakest in is negotiating. So I'm really excited about this conversation. It couldn't come soon enough. We've got a lot to learn. Well, let's get to it, though. We're joined today by Molly Fletcher. CNN calls her the female Jerry Maguire. She's here today to discuss her new book, A Winner's Guide to Negotiating, How Conversation Gets Deals Done. Molly, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be with you. Good deal. We appreciate you making the time. Before we get into the discussion of your book, take a few seconds to inform the audience about you and your background. So for 15 years, I was a sports agent representing athletes and coaches and broadcasters, a lot of big league baseball players, a lot of NBA and college coaches and broadcasters and loved it and then started writing books and being asked to sort of speak about them and and continued to see a need in the market to connect sports to business and the impact can be really powerful. You know, for executives, for leaders, I spend about 60 days a year speaking and then as an agency, we do online relationship sales training and team development work with sports and professional teams. So it's been just an, an amazing journey. and I'm honored to have worked with some great athletes and sort of enjoyed the ride. Molly, tell us about A Winner's Guide to Negotiating. What inspired you to write the book? Well, so it's interesting stats, right? So it talks, the statistics show that 89% of people in the world want to understand negotiating better. They wish they understood how to do it better. And almost 60% say that what they know about negotiation, they learned sort of on their own, just through their own life experiences. So to me, that was clearly a gap, an opportunity to teach and share some of my pretty unique experiences that I hoped would help others, you know, go through the process of negotiation more effectively and better. And, you know, to me, what I frame up in the book is that negotiation is really at the core of conversation. It's a conversation that certainly can be difficult at times, but at the core, it's just a conversation. And so how do we, you know, connect enough with the people that we're negotiating with that we can keep the conversation going, right? So that we can go back to the table the next time. So I talk about finding common ground. I talk about asking for what we want. I talk about knowing when to leave. And then obviously a big part of negotiation is after we make the ask, having the courage to pause. Having the courage to just pause and wait and let that other side react to whatever you potentially just asked for. So, you know, we designate a good bit of the book to sort of the power of the pause and what that looks like. And I tell a lot of cool stories about some of the, you know, Tom Izzo and Billy Donovan and Doc Rivers and Smoltz and all these guys and just experiences inside of those discussions and how these tactics work. And so I think that they can work for business people as well. Well, I think back to one of the important lessons my dad taught me when he said, state what you want and then show 
shut your mouth because most of the right. time you don't you don't pause and you don't give the recipient time to process what you just requested and then you blow it. So that's great advice. You know, I'm surprised by the statistic that 89% of people think they need to do better at negotiating because I feel like everyone I talk to thinks they're pretty good at it. I count myself as one of those, as I said at the top of the show, that I really need improvement there. List a couple of the things that all great negotiators do. Well, I think all great negotiators prepare incredibly well. So they come into a conversation armed with information, not just about what they're asking for and why they're asking for it, but they come in armed with understanding the world around them, right? So in other words, the person that they're negotiating with, they get inside of that person's sort of head and heart and figure out what they're worried about, what's important to them. All those things are incredibly important. So, you know, getting, I always sort of say that negotiation doesn't happen in a vacuum. There's a lot of moving parts inside of any negotiation. So the more information you have, the more curious you can be, I call it 360 degree awareness around the world of the people that you're negotiating with, the better. So people do that well. You know, and I think it's interesting. Obviously, if you find common ground, if you prepare, if you connect, then when you ask, to your dad's point, you can pause. You can, as your dad said, I think, so that you can, because hopefully by the time you've made the ask, you've already built the framework for why you're making the ask. So the ask can hold its own. It can sit on its own. So I think great negotiators are comfortable with a pause. They can do that. And to me, that's incredibly important. And then I think the great negotiators know, you know, what are they going to be excited about in a deal and what are they not going to be excited about? In other words, what's the number that you would take and what's the number that's not good enough? And what that does sometimes is it offsets emotion that sometimes arises inside of a negotiation, which is very common. But if we go into a negotiation and know that $20 million was was fair and that that was a number that we liked and that, you know, we'd gotten clear on things in advance of the discussion, then when you're sitting at 18 and a half and you're not where you want to be, but you want it to be over and, you know, it's gotten emotional and people are pulling each other's strings and you sometimes just want to fold because you just want it to end. And one of the things that I think great negotiators do is they know that a deal isn't necessarily better because it may be a bad deal. That's great. Molly, I love reading new books and new ideas from people that have walked 20 years in shoes I'll never be able to walk because you point out things that seem fairly obvious to you. And, you know, without having walked in your shoes, we wouldn't know. What are some of those things that you tell us in your book, you know, for somebody who's done this for 20 years, you know, are key principles, but somebody who hasn't been a negotiator of half a billion dollars in deals would never know? Well, I think that the biggest thing is that I think sometimes the world complicates things. And, you know, to me, negotiation is a conversation with somebody else. And so it's about people connecting. It's about relationships. It's about somebody has something that you want and you've got something they think they want. So it's really, to me, at the core about connection. And I think sometimes people think that negotiation, and certainly when you're negotiating, you know, multi-million dollar deals, that you're supposed to get your gloves off and go, you know. And to me, that's not what negotiation about if you want to go back to the table of that individual and you want to negotiate with them again they need to like you the world is full of great people we all have a lot of choices so we want to make sure that we're the kind of person that other people want to actually deal with so to me it's sort of counterintuitive sometimes to I think what people think negotiation should be about but I think if we can stay centered on the fact that it's about two people or multiple people coming together and trying to connect and then go from there 
You know, the other little nugget I would share on that, too, is that a lot of times people don't think they should show their cards in the negotiation. And what I always challenge people to do is show your cards, but not specific to the deal. In other words, be a little bit vulnerable, connect in a way that allows them to get to know you and connect with you and get a sense for who you are and what you're all about. Now, it doesn't mean that you got to give away things that are relevant to the deal, but it gives you an opportunity to connect with them separate apart from the deal that you're in the room discussing. Wow, Molly, you just blew my mind. That Be a little bit vulnerable. So now, see, as a man, I would sit there and the last thing I would think I would need to be when I'm negotiating would be vulnerable. Can you expand on that? Because I think that's a really critical lesson that Lord knows I need and I imagine most people listening. Well, I think when people think about having conversations with other people, they want to, if we're going to connect with other people, typically that means we have to be vulnerable in order to do that, to really connect. So when I say be vulnerable in a negotiation, I certainly don't mean specific to the deals per se. So I'll give you an example. I walked in to negotiate John Schultz's contract with the Atlanta Braves. And I'm sitting in the room with the gentleman that I worked with and, you know, the general manager of the Braves is thinking, why is this woman in this room? Like, what is her role? What is she doing here? What is, you know, is she the secretary? Is she an attorney? What's her story? So he's paying me no attention. And after about five or 10 minutes, I see these golf holes rotating on a screensaver on his computer behind him. And I recognize one. And it's number 12 at Augusta, the beautiful par three at Augusta when we're based in Atlanta. So I'm assuming this guy, obviously, as a gentleman of the Braves, has had the opportunity to play Augusta. So I said, gosh, I said, those are unbelievable golf holes. Beautiful. I said, man, I said, I bet you've played. I said, what'd you get on number 12? And he sort of paused and he looked back and he said, oh, yeah, 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 I know. Aren't they pretty? And he goes, yeah, I played it a month ago or something. And he said, I, I parred it. And I sort of smiled and paused. And so, first of all, in that moment, he's surprised that I know what number 12 is at Augusta on a screensaver. But second of all, I said, man, that's unbelievable. I said, dude, I said, you won't believe this. I said, but I played it last week. I said, I birdied 12. And it was an opportunity for us to connect. It was an opportunity for me to share something with him so that we could connect separate and apart from the deal that we were in there to do. So we spent like the next 25 minutes talking about golf and his favorite golf courses and what he's played and what he scored. Now leading into that conversation about, you know, the contract was a little bit easier. So when I say vulnerable, I certainly don't mean you need to get naked in front of the people you're doing the deal with. But what I do think you need to do is open up enough to allow there to be a connection so that the conversation can be more fluid. And I think that that I have found in my years to be beneficial. And the only thing I would add to that is that doesn't always work, right? I mean, not everybody wants to go there and that's okay. And so you've got to be astute enough to read the situation and understand who does and who doesn't and, and adjust the conversation accordingly. Fantastic advice. All right, Molly Fletcher will return after this quick break. We'll be right back. This program is brought to you by Miles Finch Innovation, LLC, a creative consultancy that is passionate about ideas, imagination, and facilitating a culture of innovation. Miles Finch Innovation helps companies navigate the messy territory of corporate innovation. They're strategic thinking partners who can help you get unstuck and identify creative solutions to your toughest challenges. They also love to train and speak on the subject of creative leadership. Learn more about how they can help you at milesfinchinnovation.com. Miles Finch Innovation, idea-centric, strategically driven, humanly conscious. Molly, I'm going to be vulnerable for you for a second. If uh, Brian Cashman calls and needs me to come and replace Cheater, <laughs> I'm going to call you and have you um, <laughs> represent me. 
I don't know what I'll <laughs> do with it. a 47 year old with a bum knee, but <laughs> I'll give it everything I got. <laughs> well, good. I told Smaltzy, you know, that the pinstripes make him look skinnier. I always try to get John to go to New York to make his belly look a little thinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I say that obviously as a joke, but I'm sure there's times when, you know, athletes far better than me think they want to go somewhere or do something or endorse a product. And you know, in your mind, it's not really a fit or won't work out, but you know, you have to give it the college try. Has that situation happened? And how do you negotiate and navigate things like that? Well, you know, on the front end of, of a conversation with an athlete about their endorsement deals, you know, I really could sit down and identify what are some non-starters for you? What are some things that we know are not good for you and the brand? So obviously it may be things like cigarettes for some guys or alcohol for some guys. We get really clear on what some of those are because there may be guys that say, oh my gosh, you know, my dad's been at, you know, Kellogg for 30 years and I could just never do an ad for somebody that competed with Kellogg. So it's just getting really clear on that in the front end so you know what their sort of unacceptables are. And then obviously as things come in, you know, my role is to create as many opportunities as I can for guys and then bring them to them, but clearly help them understand the risks that potentially could be associated with, you know, any of those deals. Because it's not about, you know, the dollars that they get in that deal. It's about the quality of the relationship. Right. So it's always important to me that I've made sure that my guys were associated with things where the product was first class. We did a deal for Tom Izzo with Dove Soap, you know, those Dove Soap ads, right, where they're, you know, sort of are you comfortable in your own skin ads. And, you know, those are high quality production ads, right? The guys look classy. They're well done. You know, they bring in a slew of a crew. It's a class act deal. That's a good extension of a brand for him. But, you know, what I may not want a guy to do is, you know, a car dealership ad with a guy standing there with his iPhone recording the commercial. You know what I mean? So our role in that is to help make sure that the guys are associated with things that either are equal or greater than their brand. Molly, I'm so pleased to hear the foundation for what you're preaching here is around relationship building and about generating conversation. I've built my career out of trying to help my clients facilitate meaningful interactions and conversations with people important to them. And it's gratifying to know that that is a fundamental practice in negotiating. I'm still struck, however, by a comment you made at the top half of the show where when you were listing some of the great things that great negotiators do is it's know what you are going to be excited about, which leads me to believe that there's a lot of people, quote, negotiating who don't know that. How is that possible? How can you possibly negotiate when you don't know where you really want to be? Well, I mean, I think that happens all the time, right? I think that happens in people in their own lives, right? So it's just about not being intentional. I think sometimes people walk into a conversation without clarity on what they want out of it. And I think, sadly, it happens more than it should. But I think you've got to really pull back and know what are the variables you're comfortable with, right? So you may get a big base on a guy, but your bonuses are lower. You may get a lower base and higher bonuses. So you've got to have some flexibility inside of that. But you've got to, you know, kind of have some bookends on it as well. Because what happens is you get inside of those moments and people can rush you. They can make you feel emotional. It's the whole go to the car dealership and the guy, you know, gets you in the car and you drive it and tells you it's the last Last one on the lot, right? I always hate that when people try to tell me that. Because, you know, oftentimes you have to say to yourself, look, if I get up and walk away and have a pause, right, whether the pause is two seconds or two minutes or two days, is the deal going to go away? And if the question is, is the deal going to go away? And the answer to that in your gut is no. The deal's not going to go away if I pause. Then pause. Give yourself an opportunity to process the situation and process the deal points and make sure you feel good about it. 
So to me, that's just incredibly important. And oftentimes that comes with clarity and preparation, both of which I'm a big fan of when we walk into a difficult conversation. You know, I'm making notes as we talk. And if we had a tag cloud on this conversation, the word relationship has been said over and over again. And it just hit me that, you know, our business in sales and marketing is about creating great relationships, and it's key to your business as well. Talk to us more about the importance of relationships in negotiating, and especially in the sports world. Well, I mean, you know, most of my messaging when I speak, whether it's on leadership or team development or business development, is all on building, you know, authentic relationships, not transactional relationships. I do a lot of speaking in the sales space and love that. You know, what I loved about the sports agency business is the opportunity to sit in front of an athlete or a coach who is very uninterested in what you're about to say. And then getting up from the table an hour later and then just anxious for the next meeting or ready to sign a contract. Or my passion has always been taking raw relationships, taking relationships where there's tremendous doubt, where they're questioning who you are and what you're about and what your motives are. And then them at the end of it, realizing that your motives are authentic and that your interest is real and your intentions are anchored against what is truly and mostly best for them. And that was what I loved. I mean, that at the core was what drove me in the sports marketing space and in the athlete representation space was getting in front of athletes and getting them to like and respect me and appreciate me enough to know that, gosh, you're going to be able to make my world better. You're going to be able to help me inside of what is often a very short window of time as an athlete or a coach, and you're going to help me maximize that window of time. So, and it's the same thing when I walk on a stage to give a keynote when you have a thousand people looking at you who are very busy, who are distracted, who have 400 emails in their inbox and they're wondering why this lady's worth listening to and not dealing with these 400 emails and having them wonder all those things and then, you know, getting a standing ovation. I mean, that's what drives me and that's what's important to me now. And so the opportunity to impact you know, and share messaging with lots of people now versus 25 or 300 athletes is, is really kind of anchored in why made that show. Molly, we all have to negotiate with difficult personalities or people we don't like or trust. For you, it's probably sitting across the table from Sugar, from Jerry Maguire. It's those kinds of people that are just, ah, they just have a reputation for being difficult. And striking up a relationship, driving conversation may be trickier there. How do you deal with those kinds of people? Well, I mean, I think tactically, you know, you got to capture the data. you got to capture everything right. So you got to keep them on their toes and make sure that you keep the data and the information so that you can keep them honest if unfortunately that ever came to a point where you needed to have that kind of information. So tactically that. But, you know, what do you do from an intangible perspective? I think you've got to be really, really curious and try to understand what's important to this person. How do I break this guy down so that I can connect to him? Because everybody's got that side of them. How do I get there? So how do I potentially get in his world enough to understand what's driving him, what's important to him, what matters to him, what he's worried about, you know, so that I can connect? And you can't do it with everybody. Not everybody's going to do it for you, certainly not in an hour, and maybe not in two or five. But, you know, I think eventually you can get everybody there to a point where they hopefully believe in and trust you and will open up and, you know, communicate. All right. I hate to say it, but we're about out of time. Before I let you go, where can people contact you, Molly, and learn more about A Winner's Guide to Negotiating? Well, you can go to mollyfletcher.com and I'm on Twitter at Molly Fletcher and, you know, everything's there. We've got, you know, obviously a book page and then all my books are where books are sold, right? So they're on Amazon and everywhere else where books are sold. So thanks, guys. It's been great fun. It's been fun. It's been a pleasure having you. Thanks for stopping by. All right. That wraps this broadcast. On behalf of our guest, Molly Fletcher, my co-host, Todd Snick, I'm Joe Lavelle. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business.